Light is the left hand of darkness, and darkness the right hand of light. Two are one, life and death lying, together like lovers in Kemmer, like hands joined together, like the end and the way. A groundbreaking work of science fiction, The Left Hand of Darkness tells the story of a lone human emissary to winter, an alien world whose inhabitants can choose and change their gender. His goal is to facilitate winter's inclusion into a growing intergalactic civilization. But to do so, he must bridge the gulf between his own views and those of the completely dissimilar culture that he encounters. Embracing the aspects of psychology, society, and human emotion on an alien world, the left hand of darkness stands as a landmark achievement in the annals of intellectual science fiction. Hello, I'm your host Sierra Whitfield, and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Books. In this installment, we are going to be talking about a science fiction classic. That's right, we are going to be talking about The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin. Now, The Left Hand of Darkness is a part of Le Guin's well-known Hainish cycle. Even though they're all technically a part of a series and happen in the same world or universe, none of the stories are connected. Each installment acts as a standalone. Because of this, I won't be mentioning any of the other books. If you do happen to read the other books in the series, you will find mention of Winter slash Gethin or Gethinians in the other stories. Now, a note before we begin. As this book was written in 1969, the terms biological sex and gender are used interchangeably. This is regrettable, of course, but back then we did not have the same discourse on gender roles and sexuality. This was part of the reason why I included the original book summary in the intro. Though the summary says that Gathenians can switch genders, they, in actuality, switch sexes. It happens in a cycle that is quite similar to the female menstrual cycle. It also happens once a month, during a period called Kemmer, which is their mating season, uh, hormones are pumped into their body, which causes changes that pulls their body towards being either male or female. The rest of the time, outside of this time of the month, Cathenians are essentially biologically androgynous. A single Cathenian can switch between male and female throughout the course of their lives, and they don't necessarily stick to one sex either. A Cathenian can influence their body towards one or the other with the assistance of hormones. Outside of this, it's generally left up to chance. On the surface, this book seems to be a work of political science fiction. In a way, it is. So the planet of Gethin, or Winter as it has been nicknamed, is invited to join an interplanetary alliance known as the Ecumen. However, once the Ecumen's envoy, Genli Ai, shows up on the planet, he is dismayed to find that there is little interest in the proposal. 
You see, the planet of winter is on the verge of an all-out planet-wide civil war. They are so busy fighting each other, playing games of politics and power and prestige that they're not exactly in the right place to enter into that sort of relationship. Entering into the ecumen would mean that they would have to set their own petty squabbles aside and be united. But how could they expect to enter into a larger alliance if they can't even find peace and unity amongst their own people? So Genli's arrival threatens the war, as aligning with the ecumen would lead Winter to a lasting planet-wide peace, which, as you could guess, threatens the secret agendas of several politicians. Genli amusingly notes that politicians are the same, no matter what species or planet that they're from. Genli spends much of the book as a political fugitive, running from one country to the next, trying to plead his case. Even though he's in a seemingly impossible situation, he, thankfully, is not alone. Here enters the book's other main narrator, Theorem Hearth Rayir Estrevin. They start off the book as the Prime Minister of Carhide, one of the Warring Nations, and ends the book as a disgraced traitor. Their ultimate goal is to bring peace to their people, even if it comes at the cost of their own life. Estrovin sees Genli and the proposed alliance as a unique opportunity. Beyond that, The Left Hand of Darkness is, at heart, a story about love beyond the boundary of species or race, and about the attainment of enlightenment. I know, hearing the word enlightenment might seem strange, especially in the context of a science fiction novel. But hear me out. It is a well-known fact that Ursula K. Le Guin is deeply affected by the philosophical and spiritual tradition of Taoism. Its influence can be seen in all of her works, but I find it to be most blatant within The Left Hand of Darkness. She uses gender roles as a way to explore the nature of duality in Taoist thought. The true nature of the Tao, or the Way, is absolute unity. So our ever-changing and sometimes chaotic existences are created by the movements between opposing forces. The material world, in a sense, is created by the interplay of all duality, night and day, life and death, male and female, or masculine and feminine. In Taoist expression, it is understood that duality does not signify separation. Dual forces, instead, are meant to be perfect complements of the other, each necessary to provide the other with its meaning. This can be seen especially in Genli's character arc. Now, we as humans tend to group people based on a particular set of categorizations and stereotypes. This is perfectly natural. All brains do it. Even though we don't all process information in the same way, as we aren't exposed to the same set of stimuli or experiences, our brains still function in a very similar way. We like to find patterns and make connections. The way we find patterns in the external world and make connections and categorize things are all a part of what is called association learning. The unconscious part of our brain processes everything associatively rather than logically or analytically, and this is done as a means of conserving mental energy. 
Associative thinking is fast and non-linear, as opposed to logical and more linear thinking, which, when it's used by the conscious parts of our brain, is more logical and you know, takes a lot more time to process. It's slow, it's cumbersome. If our mind had to treat every experience or person we encountered as a unique circumstance, it would take a lot of mental energy, a huge cognitive load, to be able to function in the world. And for survival, this can be very inconvenient. The more frequently we encounter a particular pattern, the more likely we are to believe it's true and accurate, which can be really harmful when it comes to stereotyping or generalizing certain characteristics or attributes about other groups of people that are different from our own. And this can be seen with Genli Ai. Even though he exists in a more futuristic and technologically advanced world than us, he is, at the end of the day, human. He is born into a society that is, in terms of social ideas and constructs, very much like our own. He's very much born with the Terran or Earthen mental models of gender roles, that being male or female or masculine or feminine. Before we continue, I would like to discuss the difference between gender and biological sex. Gender roles are mental-slash-psychological constructs. They are simply ideas of traits and characteristics that are built around and attributed to biological sex. Though biological sex as a whole does tend to be binary, there are always outliers and exceptions. This can be seen with people who are born with an extra chromosome or with intersex individuals. As Genli is so stuck in his Terran mental model of gender, he has a very hard time connecting with and, and accepting the customs of the Gethin people. Gethinians, as I've said before, are androgynous, and this aspect of their biology has affected their entire culture and civilization. And Genli, when he's interacting with several of the Gethin characters, has such a hard time reconciling this dualistic aspect of them. And also, to boot, he's also slightly misogynistic. He has a very low opinion of quote-unquote womanly behavior. You can see this from the very first chapter. He doesn't like Estrovan at the beginning of the book. Though he sees them as being very powerful and worthy of respect, this is essentially undermined by Estrovan's perceivedly womanly traits. Time and time again, over the course of the novel, Genli Ai's perception of gender is tested, and this is a theme that the reader explores along with him. For example, in Carhide, they use very masculine terms for leadership positions such as lord and king. When we, as humans who have a very similar mental model as Genli's, think of these terms, we tend to automatically give them a masculine connotation. During the novel, there is a mad king, King Argaven, who becomes pregnant. The tipping point for that character is when they lose their child and sole heir during childbirth, and at the end of the novel, when we see them again, they are bereaved and heartbroken. Pregnancy and childbirth is something that is biologically very feminine, and, and so when we have this character that is in more of a 
masculine position is just really hard to reconcile the two together in our minds. Ultimately, Genli's character arc and spiritual lesson of sorts is to understand the true essence of nature, in that when opposites are combined, then existence is a result. One element cannot exist without the other. You cannot have masculine without feminine. In its contrast, they exist together. And this helps bring Genli into a deeper understanding of himself and humanity as a whole. That it isn't just the Gathenians who are made of an amalgamation of contrasts, a paradoxal nature. People in general, regardless of their species or subspecies, are comprised of contrasts. And that within each and every one of us, there is masculine and feminine characteristics. There is light and darkness. 